I'm sitting here, Mr. Cook, toying with the idea of removing your heart and stuffing it like an owl. I have something to tell you. No, 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 let me tell you first. 30 blocks of ice, 12 feet wide and 12 feet high, were lined up north of the city. The Army Corps of Engineers stacked 60 industrial fans behind the ice, and on the negotiated night in July, set them running. The noise, like an endless train, reached every corner of the city beneath the penthouses. But the first man to feel the breeze was deaf. He was crossing the street then, from the bridge he had camped under that day to the drugstore he would camp behind that night. His shoes crushed bits of plastic, as just an hour or so before someone had gone through and shattered the streetlights for fun. Was that supposed to be tonight, he thought, sensing the chill on his cheekbones and looking into the darkness at the end of the street. He stopped, recalling everything he had read about the ice in the city weekly, the city's bidding for it, the man-hours it would take to position it, and how many days the ice could be expected to last. Some neighborhoods, learning about the potential for noise, and despite how badly they needed the relief, refused to have the fans put anywhere near them. In the end, the fans were put north. The wide, little-used commercial avenue could carry the air downtown. Still standing there in the middle of the street, the deaf man opened his mouth to taste the air. Goosebumps ran up his neck. He began to feel underdressed, colder even than he did last winter. He blinked fast to moisten his eyes, and he saw stars on the horizon. He tilted his head back to see more, and he turned. He found the grill of a delivery truck was stopped inches from his face. Smoke was rising from the tires. The driver was gasping, a large, freckled man with patches of red hair on his neck. He put one hand over his heart and held up the other, as if asking for a moment to steady himself. And while his eyes were still shut, a fog from the cool air spread across the windshield and covered his face. A new bridge, deep in the county, would complete the beltway. The crew arrived a few hours after sunset to remove the forms from the second pair of columns on the bank. The river had burst its banks that day, and though the columns themselves were dry and the crane was safe, a finisher was sent out to check their materials. He followed the edge of the river, from the sand grooved with caterpillar tracks to the grass beyond the floodlights. His footsteps there disturbed a heron, wading between the loblolly pines. It flew out towards a small boat anchored at the opposite bank, with a lantern hanging from its bow. The finisher walked on. Shouts and cries reached him from the site, but he did not look back. He could guess what they were. For the past few months, his wife had been arriving unannounced to his jobs and just generally being a nuisance. Luckily, everyone on the crew had some sympathy for her. They found her this night standing atop one of the columns they had already put in. She was fourteen feet up, and she wore a wedding dress. Its muddied skirt belled out around the column, and huge puffs of pearl-white fabric ballooned from her shoulders. Her veil was up, but her face was dark, reaching just past the halo of the floodlights. The men below pleaded with her to come down, but she spoke over them, intoning a long stream of babble towards the river. One of the crew shouted, Stop, stop, as he saw her wind her bouquet back in one hand. He ran for a tarp, and others lifted a ladder to her feet, but she kicked it away. Her husband, meanwhile, focused on the water. He had come to the cages of rebar lying on their side, and saw indeed that one of them just touched the river. The pallet, too, on which they stacked their bags of cement had partially disappeared. It would all have to move. He turned to tell his foreman, 
and as he did he saw the small boat from the opposite bank now anchored at his side. The trees obscured whoever was there, but he could see the lantern switch off and two arms draping themselves in a long material. A swift toss and a net unfurled in the air, flying towards the new shallows lit up by the sight. Each night a mold developed around her retainer, blooming from the gap between the plastic halves. She awoke to dime-sized patches of green fur along the inside of her cheeks and running up over her lips and chin. A peach fuzz grew along her hairline. In time, the mold spread further. It speckled her bedroom wall like spat tobacco, then hung in white stalactites from the bookshelf and the Christmas lights above her bed. She went to sleep with her lamp on. She kept a dehumidifier on the pillow beside her, but nothing worked. One morning, she had to break off a dense ridge of mold that had built up along her jaw like a mushroom cap. And another morning, she couldn't open her eyes. They had been sealed shut by mold. She had to feel her way to the kitchen before her parents were up and open her eyelids with silverware. When she could see again, and with her parents still in bed, she slipped her retainer into its case and walked to school early. Each morning on her walk to school, the girl crossed a footbridge covered with chain-link fencing. Train tracks lay below, alongside a pile of ties, an outhouse, and directly beneath the bridge, a dumpster. Standing above the dumpster now, making sure first that there was no one behind her, she swung up one of the padlocks scratched with lover's initials and aimed her retainer at the diamond-shaped gap in the fence. But the retainer was too wide. Every way she angled it, the wires made to grip her molars caught the wire mesh. She left it wedged there in the fencing. The padlock fell over it, and, resolved to tell no one, she walked to school. On the mornings that followed, she checked the retainer as she passed. She found it coated in bird droppings, then spotted with silk cocoons. The sticking pads of a climbing hydrangea were glued to its sides. More locks accumulated above and below it, and she could just make out someone's name written on the retainer in paint before the locks covered up the last glint of the plastic.